Hello, my name is Michael Stevens, and this is episode three of Self Inquiry, a podcast by We Create Space, the wellbeing and empowerment platform for the queer community, supporting LGBTQ plus individuals with defining their own personal growth strategy. This is a podcast exploring the life journeys of inspiring queer individuals. It's about resilience, awareness, and transformation. We'll be covering topics such as identity, sex, relationships, purpose, health, and love. These short but powerful dialogues are taken from our online workshops, which are all free to attend and available to anyone who wants to explore in a safe space alongside a team of LGBTQ plus mentors, coaches and wellbeing professionals. So this first conversation is between Dee Jass and CreateSpace facilitator Eduardo Gutierrez. Dee is the founder of Colourful, a consultancy and media platform that aims to increase visibility and the inclusion of LGBTQ community um, and people of colour in the workplace as well as wider society using data, storytelling and design thinking. Prior to this, Dee held HR leadership roles in creative organisations including the BBC, Netta Porter and Girl Effect and he's currently a a trustee at Sour Lemons. Eduardo, if you don't know already, is an Oxford graduate from Colombia with a passion for philosophy and peace building. And Dee joined us as a guest speaker on the workshop What's My Purpose? during which he spoke to Eduardo about how relationships and curiosity have played a huge part in discovering his own unique purpose. So uh, we have a guest speaker today. His name is uh, Dee Jazz, and he has agreed to join our conversation today and share his story. Dee, welcome here. Thank you so much for having me. No worries, very welcome. So um, Dee, this is just basically a a conversation between you and me. So uh, I have a few questions, but before maybe, do you wanna introduce yourself, basically a a trailer of your story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, So I'm Dee, my pronouns I mentioned earlier are he, him. They've dropped off as I've logged in and out. Um, I am gonna be turning 40 later this month and I'm like 40 and fucking fabulous. That's what I'm telling myself. Um, Owning my age, I wasn't, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to swear. Is this where I get told off by Davina McCall, please do not swear. Um, She used to say that live on Big Brother. And uh, I um, have a background in HR, if I think about my professional experience, but uh, about two and a half years ago, I started an organization called Colourful, which is focused on queer people of color. um, And that's both in the workplace, but also outside of the workplace to make the world, um, I suppose, a place that values them, that sees them, that hears them. So that's kind of like the the day-to-day purpose, coming back to the theme of this workshop um, of my work. I could go on and on. I'm in the process of moving home, but I will stop that. And I'm sure we could talk about things that are more relevant. Okay, fantastic, thank you. So um, we're talking about our life stories and how we map them out and uh, how important relationships are in the way we see ourselves and find ways to be at peace with the world and ourselves. So mm-hmm. my question would be looking back at the road that has taken you here, kind of like echoing the exercise we, we had a, a few minutes ago which relationships would you say have been more grounding or more important in your life and, and, and why? Yeah, um, I think that's a really lovely question as well because it's really easy to forget those things as you kind of get to a particular point in your life. Um, and 
I think like many LGBTQ people, um, I think the kind of concept of like chosen family or the friends that I've made, those relationships have been central, um, I think, to understanding my identity, grounding myself, um, getting to know myself. I remember having um, a friend uh, who still is a very dear friend, um, who was very, uh, almost like, you know, I don't know if anyone's seen Pose, and you know you have like the mother of the house. I felt I had my own mother of the house, someone who I could look up to, who kind of gave me advice on life, queerness, all those things, um, as I was entering into discovering my identity. So when I look back to kind of like chosen family, close friends, I think without them, um, I think I would have been in a very different or, or dark place. And um, actually, strangely, like uh, I was really concerned about coming out to my family. And I know that coming out's not the end goal, uh, but um, actually my family have been um, great. I'm not saying it was easy initially, but actually if I think of the way that they now support me in the conversations that we have, um, I think that actually knowing that I haven't lost my roots and my cultural identity and I can step into that and be my full self as opposed to a version of myself, mm -hmm. I think that relationship, those relationships, particularly with my brother, my mum and dad, my immediate family, um, I, I recognise I'm really lucky, but I'm really grateful to have that relationship with them. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, I was thinking... Uh... Sometimes, after mapping out our web of relationships and uh, the different links we have, uh, we might sense the need to readapt, to transform, to edit ourselves, so to speak. Uh, you just mentioned, you know, the coming out story, but there might be other things as well. So, can you? Is there any like specific intense life transformation that you've gone through? You know, uh, a specific change that you think is worthy of sharing? Mm. I mean, two come to mind and I'll try and say, speak to them concisely. But I think the first, um, it, it sounds really awful to say out loud, but actually I think the power of heartbreak is actually quite an intense life transformation. I think particularly when you're LGBTQ, I think, you know, um, I certainly was looking for love in all the wrong places. And um, I, I think looking back on that experience and thinking about how both painful it was, but also how much um, it required me to um, I suppose almost uh, lean on myself, not at the mm -hmm. expense of creating connections with others, but it forced me to take a strong look at why was I so focused on um, achieving love extrinsically, what was happening for me internally that I didn't have, um, I couldn't give myself the love that I needed. And that sounds a little bit, um, in Shah's words, woo-woo. I remember she once said this to me a while ago, and I think it's um, a great phrase, but actually I really believe that. I think if I hadn't gone through that, there was an intense transformation which led to me coming out to my family, understanding my own value, and recognizing that actually I as an individual without another person was of worth. I didn't need to be in this relationship. I didn't need to be in a couple. So I think when I look back to that, that had a huge uh, impact on my emotional development as well. Mm -hmm. And then the flip side, if I think about kind of careers and life choices, like Colourful ultimately is um, an expression of who I am. So working on issues around race and people of colour, working on issues around LGBTQ inclusion, I ultimately set the intersection of both those things. So I had a, um, and you know, I'm, I'm getting used to like kind of, you know, celebrating my own achievements, but I had a very successful career in HR. I was a HR director and I decided to quit my job without anything else to go to 
and begin colorful. And I remember the questions I received, why now? Why are you doing this? Um, you know, I suppose, especially my parents, they were like, you need a predictable income. How are you gonna pay your mortgage? You know, standard parents. <laughs> and for me, it was really important to take a risk and to back myself and believe in myself. And if I hadn't go, gone through the previous experiences that I mentioned, um, the painful ones, the good ones, I don't think I would have come to the life that I have now, which I'm definitely happier in. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, there's quite a few things because you, 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 you mentioned the heartbreak situation, right? So it's a tough one. And then the way I interpret what you're saying is that you sort of found a way to tell the story or re-understand it or re-reading in a different way so that it became a positive, it had a positive impact in you, yeah. right? Um, there's also the whole quitting and starting a, a new project uh, and then the coming out story. Um, yeah. In all of those, I, imagination is really important for us here in the workshop and we've talking about it, we've been talking about it quite a bit. Uh, I'm just curious, how, how were you able to conceive those new alternatives? You know, taking this step is huge, mm -hmm. but I, I'm interested in, the, in sort of the, the, the step that comes before that. How were you able to conceive, you know what? Uh, there might be a way of looking at this in a positive way or you know what I'm not entirely sure but I could quit and start something new mm -hmm. or, or or allowing yourself to say you know, I'm going to embrace my own sexuality how how was that for you mm. so I, my um I studied psychology at university and I think that plays a lot into the way that I think about the world not that I'm analyzing everyone or psychoanalyzing you right now Eduardo I promise um, <laughs> but I think uh it's more the sense of um, like just understanding how the mind works. And I think given that I work in like diversity and inclusion work, um, mm -hmm. you often think about things like unconscious bias, limiting beliefs. And I think that's the thing that I'd really focus on. I realized um, that what I was experiencing in that moment might be really shit, mm -hmm. but I knew it would pass. And actually my mum gave me a lot of strength for that because she used to talk about when I was a child, she said I was really difficult in comparison to my brother. She said, you would cry all night. And she said, I remember just standing in the middle of the night, you crying, trying to rock you to sleep, thinking, I'm not sure I can do this. And she said, I would remind myself that this time would pass, that there would be a moment when this would be worth it. So, you wow. know, okay. and it's kind of deep, like, you know, obviously your mum saying basically I wasn't her joy for a period of time, but I became <laughs> her joy. Um, but uh, I, I think that's really stayed with me, which is actually things could be really difficult right now in the moment. And actually coming from an immigrant family that had, you know, kind of grew up here in London, um, there were a number, a, diff a number of different challenges I saw my family go through. So I think that, I think having that as a kind of cultural experience probably enforced the way that I look at challenges. That's not to say I don't feel crap. I don't need time out. I don't look after myself and I pretend everything's positive and resilient. Mm -hmm. um, but I allow myself to feel those things and remind myself it's not forever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow, it's really powerful. Um, the next uh, unit that we're going to have is about uh, curiosity. So I was wondering, in all those situations that you've been, you've been describing, were you were you afraid of the future? I mean, just as I mean, your mom had you when she was a when she was younger and then she said, I hope I hope this is going to change. And that's how she sort of had hope in a sense. Mm -hmm. In your case, when you were confronting all of these different challenges, were you afraid of the future? Because it can be scary. And how were you able, if so, how were you able to overcome that fear? Um, 
I mean, there was definitely the presence of fear. Uh, I, I won't say that. If I think about like, yeah, coming out, you just don't know how people are going to react and particularly if they're your loved ones. Um, so I think by default, by personality type, I'm more likely to take a risk than not. I've done all these psychometric tests, which say, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, I'm naturally inclined to do that. But I do think through um, like, what's the worst case scenario? And I suppose that helps me temper fear. So when I'm really scared, like I'll, or if I'm feeling like I'm moving to East London from West for the first time in my life this weekend, and actually I feel a bit nervous, but I ask, I spend time with that. So I journaled a bit to figure out, well, what is it? Because sometimes, I, you know, I find a blockage in myself and I find journaling really helps me, which is why do I feel this way? What's going on for me inside? And then I ask myself, is it really true? Like, how do I know it's true? And I find that that's also a really powerful question. When I get caught in the grip, um, I ask myself, is it really true? And that helps me kind of distinguish, uh, is this a real threat or is this something I'm allowing my mind to control for me? And how can I take control of my mind as opposed to the other way around? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's a mixture of like awareness, but also taking distance from yourself, like try, allowing yourself to be critical about your own ideas, maybe? Yeah. And I think also just kind of being open to the fact that, well, what's the worst that could happen? And actually being able to name the worst thing makes it less scary. Like that's, that's the way it works for me. So I think, well, what could happen? I'll hate East London and I'll want to move back to the West very unlikely but um, if that happens so what it doesn't mean I've failed or I've got to be embarrassed it just means that wasn't the particular course my life was meant to take and and that's okay mm -hmm. okay okay I wanted to go back to what you said earlier about you mentioned a friend uh, a very special friend uh, <laughs> you don't have to share if you don't want to but of course I'm just curious about that friend I mean how how, how was this friend helpful how was he like a or she I don't know like a transformative agent within your own story or how how did this friend help you out yeah i think um there's a real power in like mentors slash role models and that sounds really formal but i mean in a very informal sense in the way that we learn from our friends like mm -hmm. we're social creatures we're socialized into the way that we think about things and i think i was very lucky to meet um this dear friend marco um and he I don't know, he had himself such an amazing life story um, in terms of what, you know, he was Italian, born in France, was part of the ballet troupe, traveled the world, and then now has a very different life, um, lost a partner to unfortunately cancer, like, you know, a range of different kind of deep life experiences, which created empathy. And mm -hmm. I think that was the thing. I think there was a beauty in, in the way that he um, was willing to share his experiences in a really empathetic way to remind me um, and just other friends that, um, yeah, like things might not be great, but actually there's beauty in expressing yourself, understanding yourself and um, living the life that you want. Be deliberate about it, be intentional. And I think for me, that was one of the biggest lessons that I took from him. Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah. And when it, when it, if we look at your family, because you said you're very lucky and it was not easy, but they, they, they reacted in a, in a nice way. Is there, was there anyone within your family that was, you know, like particularly significant? Uh... Yeah, I would say my brother, actually. So I spoke to him first before I spoke to my parents. It was a bit like a tag team. So <laughs> my case as well. <laughs> I think it's like a good testing ground, like siblings, just because you're a different generation. And I think, um, you know, he also had a view about how he thought my parents may respond. And between the two of us, it was like, we'll tackle this together. And I remember him saying to me, um, 
it's so weird like uh, I still remember where we were like just behind Selfridges we were in Patty and Bun we were having dinner and I told him and he just said to me so what can I do for you how can I like show up for you it was as simple as that there was no kind of I mean, he, we talked about obviously other things as well, but actually that was his first response. His first response was like, I'm there with you. Um, and I think that made life, you know, I felt quite emotional at that time. Um, but I remember thinking like, that's amazing. And actually, so there were points where my parents struggled with what I was telling them. Mm. Um, and actually I knew that he would then go and speak to them without me present, which is a space that maybe they needed to say the things that maybe I don't want to hear or the things that might be awkward and might not land well. My brother was there to kind of hoover it up. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really lucky to have him as a brother. <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, Mike is a similar thing. He, my brother heard from someone else and we were literally, this was a five minute conversation. We were just having pizza and he said, you know, Eduardo, I heard this, is it true? And just in case, if it's true, I don't mind, you know, but I just want to know. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's true. And that, that was basically it. Whereas with my parents, it was like this whole scene set up. And I, and I, I spoke with him and he was like, he was with his wife upstairs and he looked at me like, we're going to be upstairs watching a movie just in case. And then he <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, definitely a huge part of my story as well. Um, I was listening to you and there's a, um, Letter Act, the author I've been talking about, he has a phrase, he says, who we have been, are, and will be, emerges and shapes itself in a context of relational interdependency. Mm -hmm. I, I like, I mean, it just resonated with what you were talking mm -hmm. because there's, there's this, it's not just that they're part of the story, you know, like characters and you're the main characters. No, they're, 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 there are links, you know, there are dependents, there's family and there's friends and, and I was also thinking about the what you talk, talked about heartbreak because sometimes even people that are part of a sad episode, you know, if, if I have an enemy or I have a, someone who's treated me badly or, or there's a sad episode, uh, even, at, you know, recognizing that there is a link with these people, that they're part of our stories, I think it's, it's fundamental. So I think it's awesome to, to hear that, what you said. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. Right. Next up is Freddie Lewis. Uh, Freddie is a songwriter and poet. He believes in the healing power of writing and has a unique philosophy surrounding the writing process. He sees songs as his best way of communicating his love for life and living as a queer trans man. Freddie was part of the team delivering My Story, My Way, our self-empowerment workshop series, introducing playful methods of artistic expression as powerful tools for self-care and storytelling. So here's a clip from the workshop. Uh, Freddie talks a little about his own process and journey, and he also performs one of his early songs that he wrote during the early stages of uh, his transition. Hello. Um, I thought it was so interesting, all of that, Alex. And um, I love what you said about when you're posing and you're shooting and something takes over. Because um, I find that whenever I'm recording music, take three, consistently, that happens. Take one and two, I'm trying too hard. Take four and five, I've like given up by. <laughs> and take three, always something just comes over and it kind of comes out in a much more connected way. So I was like really pleased to hear that that translates into like other art forms um so yeah i'm freddie um it's really nice to be here and i'm glad to see so many of you in the chat and joining in and 
I'm very excited and a little nervous. Um, uh, I am a songwriter, performer, poet um, based in Bristol, UK. Um, and I write songs for a lot of reasons, but it kind of started when I was um, sort of eight or nine. Um, I remember I had like the most hideous purple notebook, which had like jangly beads all over it and like was just beautifully horrifying. Um, and I would like come home from school and write these little like tales in it. Um, often like I would rewrite fairy tales. I'm not really sure why, but I would like, I remember doing Big Bad Wolf, but it was like iguanas and a big bad lizard. And they like hid in cacti instead of huts. Like, I don't know why I felt it needed an update, but like that was my birth into writing, if you like. Um, and this like addiction, addiction, this um, solace I found in writing little stories kind of translated when I got to the age of about 13, um, my granddad gave me a secondhand acoustic guitar and I was like, wow, I want to do that forever. Uh, and I also started at um, an all girls grammar school, um, which was uh, very intense as a trans masculine person and as a creative as well, to be honest. Um, it was a very like academic, strict, feminine environment. Um, and it was, it was, quite something uh <laughs> and i every day when i finished the day i would get home from school and like run upstairs grab my guitar and just like write the most miserable songs you've ever heard like i would like imagine like adele and taylor swift got together and then they broke up and then they both wrote albums about it like that's how sad these songs were but they were just like a massive outpour for me um and they were quite terrible like I was 13 I wasn't very didn't have a big vocabulary didn't know quite how to communicate but for me that didn't matter and it still doesn't really what matters is that I like had this outlet and this outpour and I started to kind of make sense of my own feelings and my own story that way um which is pretty cool um and it never really went away that kind of sense of these songs being an outpour and a um, a way to make sense of myself, that continues like to this day. I'm now third year of my songwriting degree. And even though I've um, kind of learned a lot of the like more technical side of songwriting and learned how to kind of communicate things a little more clear, the real like motivation behind it is still like to kind of sort things out and to learn about myself because sometimes something will come out and then I have to look at it and I'm like, oh, oh, I feel that way. Oh yeah. Okay. That makes sense. You know? Um, so yeah, writing songs for me, I've written down that it gives me like three things. It, um, helps me to learn things about myself. It helps me to work through things and it is just like really cathartic and healing to do the process as well, regardless of the output. Um, so before I sort of, show you a little way that you can kind of start um, to bring this into your own life. I thought I would sing you a little song. Um, this one is one of those that was definitely an outpour for me. Um, and I thought that as this is a workshop full of cool LGBTQ plus people, I would do one that kind of discusses my gender. Um, and it's really interesting looking back, I wrote this song about a year ago. 
and at the time it's very much how I felt I had like a lot of feelings of like um being trapped in myself and being trapped in people's perception of me um and fortunately I'm at a place where I don't feel that way anymore but this song is kind of a time stamp on that on that feeling um so yeah also ben i know you're afraid of singing so i won't be offended if you want to leave currently <laughs> okay i'm stripping just because my um cardigan sleeve will brush against the guitar Okay, this is Growing Pains. When I was little, I felt the weight of something bigger. Couldn't put my finger on it without feeling like it's on the trigger of a weapon I don't understand or even know the name of, but I was staring down the barrel of myself like a face-off. The mirror's looking at me funny, flutter feeling in my tummy, how the hell do I become me? The mirror's looking at me funny, flutter feeling in my tummy, how the hell do I become me? When I grew taller, I felt the weight grow with me, like I was living in the suburbs, but my home was in the city, it's a pity, cause I know that I'm pretty, but in a way that never fit me, like the dresses in my broken closet. It wasn't easy, was it? Dwelling in a prison called my epidermis, growing pains, but with a different kind of hurting. And the worst thing is that when I see myself, I'm looking twice. I know that I'm in there, but part of me is a poltergeist from a different life that was never mine. I find segments of myself a couple beats out of time. The mirror's looking at me funny, flutter feeling in my tummy. How the hell do I become me? The mirror's looking at me funny, flutter feeling in my tummy, how the hell do I become me? Then out the other side of the danger years, wiping off my tears, with a name tag made of jet lag and my biggest fears. Whiplash and dreaming of a mustache, I'm sitting on the bus back and I see it just like that. The rest of my days that were fading fast, they start to flicker. A bright red light, I press play and I shake off the bitter The kid in the mirror started smiling like I've never seen And with the help of a prescription and a self-love remedy He starts to look like me Peel off the layers of pain and the heavy subsiding The inside's less violent, the outside tells the truth And the world can see it brighter When I was little I felt the weight of something bigger But I've never felt lighter and I'm a fighter I will not give in and I'm just lucky to be out here existing in a flesh house of bones that I call home. No more growing pains because I'm all grown. Thank you. Um, oh, thank you for the claps. It's, um, I do miss the in-person claps. I don't know what that says about me and my reward system, but... Um, it's very nice to sing for you people via Zoom. A final conversation in this episode is with Aisha Shabu and CreateSpace Programme Director, Melis Jakalu. 
Aisha is an LGBTQ plus activist and founder of Moonlight Experiences, a social enterprise that connects queer travellers with trusted locals so that they can explore a new location more authentically and as themselves. Aisha is also volunteer manager at UK Black Pride and a community event organiser who helps amplify marginalised voices and harness the economic power of LGBTQ plus tourism to support queer safe spaces. Aisha joined us as a guest speaker on Play Yourself, a workshop using script writing as a playful yet powerful self-inquiry tool for exploring our different personas or our inner voices. In this conversation, Aisha and Malis discuss the role that our inner voices can play in shaping our own personal narrative. So, hi everyone, I'm Malis again, really nice to see you. So I'd like you to welcome Aisha. So um, Aisha has kindly, kindly um, agreed to join our conversation today to share her story. Hi Aisha. Hello. Awesome. Um, so sticking again with this topic, so how Andrew introduced it, we're really focusing on framing a story. And I guess the first question for you Aisha is, what can you tell us about your own story um, and the different roles you found yourself playing, performing? So just a bit of a trailer. Um, I like a, a little bit of a thriller. Um, so for me, it's often, it's been quite like a bit of a journey. So I find myself playing roles that I thought others wanted to see me in, whether this was like influenced by my family, the religion. Um, so part of my family are Muslim and quite conservative. So it's trying to kind of play roles that you know, like a, what a black female Muslim should be like, um, kind of influenced by the culture um, and the fact that I am not kind of the, I don't make the decision in my life, um, but I kind of come, I came past that and I'm in a place now where I'm able to be myself, um, play all the roles that I want to play um, because that's, who I am as opposed to what anybody else wants to see or wants me to be. Mm, that's really powerful actually. Um, and I think more to the context of now taking ownership and taking charge of the script, so to speak, you know, we've been talking about how important it is to really recognize, you know, the part that we play in the world actually even in order to drive impact. So looking back at all of the background that you've just, you know, painted for us, I'm wondering if we can just dive a bit deeper and explore, you know, an aspect of transformation. So maybe we can talk about if there was a specific dream at some point that you wanted to, to change. Um, so in terms of starting like from my childhood, um, I was born in London and then at the early age of about one, my parents decided to move me to Nigeria because they felt that was important to understand where I came from, the culture, and there's always this weird narrative within like um, African families that um, people in the UK don't know who they are they don't have a sense of culture or respect these are all kind of things that um perception that you know this is not what we want you to be but instead by going to Nigeria you know you'll be able to uh, be a better person or be that kind of um black um very black figure um that you should be you know it's almost like when black people you know my family hear the word gay they go oh that's a white thing 
that's not something black people are and that goes the same with mental health you know there's been numerous um kind of nollywood um kind of reality tvs and films that show this anybody who um shows any signs of mental health what they say is they're crazy and also it's because of witchcraft so they must have done something in their past you know there's some kind of curse on them for showing any sign of mental health for being depressed um for i don't know just not being okay so that means that there's something wrong with you and you have to black people are not this way black people should be courageous and get on with it um it's almost been instilled this narrative that as you know black and brown people we have life harder and because it's harder we don't have a choice but to rise upon that we can't be weak at all mm -hmm. um so that's kind of always been something that has always played on my mind um and especially in academia you have to be a doctor you have to be the best the grades can never be lower than that expectation um you know for me like i guess some kind of black or african families it's like you must be a doctor if you're not a doctor this is not the role you can play in society um so i mean as i said i was quite fortunate that i did have time in nigeria to get to know that side of my family um and that society and that culture and there are definitely some positive aspects of it but there is a lot of damaging things that circulates um that whole country um and also i mean that west west side of africa i mean part of my family are also from ghana so the the, the narrative kind of flows from the west to the east to south and yeah. especially up north where you have predominantly kind of muslim um people who tend to live there um and 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 so for me it's like i did try to move away from that and the one thing that made me do that at the beginning is i realized i was different and being different in a very conservative Muslim background um, is very hard to get away from. Um, and I was fortunate that my mom realized at the age of 10, she was like, okay, you need to come back to the UK because I'll prefer you to finish the rest of your school there. Um, you now know where you're from. And, you know, I grew up with so many of my extended family. Um, but I realized that in order for me to be myself, I could not be in that society um but when i came to the uk to london i thought this would be different you know i'm in a place where it's far more liberating i can be who i am um you know and in a way you know the way the western world is promoted is that this is the place you should be to be a better person to to get money to be wealthy you know there's this massive weird propaganda about what it is to be in the west you know mm. it's a better place than anywhere else in the world to be if it's not the uk you need to head off to the us the land of the free yes, and if i may kind of interject here aisha because you just touched on some really important things you said not only did you paint a picture of two completely different you know mentality societies and i myself are also from west africa so i completely understand where you're mm. coming from but you talked about being yourself and also even the arrival in the UK and how you thought that things were potentially going to be different, but that you were also confronted with a different reality. So now I'm wondering internally, as mm. someone who's aware of their difference, 
Like, what was your own self-talk like? Like, what were you telling yourself about yourself in this situation? Um, so for me, like internally, I just thought that I could be better. I could be better than what that society has given me and shown me. Um, you know, as I said, the, the, positive, the positive aspect was the fact that um, people are a lot more generous. They're more welcoming, you know, even when they have nothing. So it really taught me a high sense of compassion. So when I came to the UK, it was difficult to see that that was not the case as much here. Um, you know, there were certain issues that I faced that I didn't like ever conceive that would happen, such as the fact that how black kind of dark skinned women are treated as, you know, back in Nigeria, you're around other black people, you know, you know, if I was telling you're beautiful, you're looking at, I guess, various media channels and you see black people and you see what black beauty looks like. Um, but here, that was something I didn't kind of anticipate what happened. That was kind of one of my struggles of thinking, oh, maybe I'm not beautiful here. Um, I have to be light skin or white in order to do so. They have mm. that, there's this conflict of self-confidence, but also realizing I'm queer. And mm -hmm. it's like, where does a black queer person sit in both societies? Mm. So in saying all of this then, with recognizing your own inner conflicts and also seeing what's happening on the outside, is there a specific direction that you wanted to take with your life? And if so, you know, what new alternatives did you have to kind of construct or even imagine in order to move forward? Um, I, it kind of, the things I started imagining was using academia as a way to be myself or to be free. So for example, you know, getting whatever grades I needed to have in order to get into university, but also what do I want to do once I'm there? It's thinking of, it's, it was weird. I saw it more as a big escape. You know, I've been trapped by several things that have been holding me down, but I have this kind of door, which once I'm out there, once I'm on the other side, I can do and be whoever I wanted. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that seemingly you know when we're conceptualizing these ideas and even imagining a different future for ourselves i don't know about you but i know there's an emotional charge that comes with it so i'm wondering from your side looking at this future what were the emotions that were coming up and i don't want to put words in your mouth but can you just describe a bit how you were feeling at that time with that vision of the future excited i mean i i was so excited i i just it was something that I wanted for so long, but also I was scared because I was worried it was never going to happen. Um, yeah, and it, it was, uh, it recharged me in a way to also feel that there's hope and to kind of keep going. Um, because once I do, it all be kind of over, not, you know, in terms of the conflict within myself. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hearing is that, you know, there was joy, excitement, but also fear. And in this medley of emotion, how would you say that your inner Shiro, actually this polar Shiro, how did she manifest in this process? Um, do you know what I felt really helped me was sports. Um, I think that's just a way to, of course, recharge, but to be able to um, just get all that, 
endorphin kicking around because after a good sport session of anything, I mean, for me, I played football and I liked it because of the sense of camaraderie that it gives you, being part of a team, um, hearing positive feedback. You know, although you think, oh, that's just a sport, but those are things that really help build your confidence in any other setting. You know, so that's how like these little things started kind of adding up. Um, what I love doing, and as I said, I you know learned to be very compassionate is um, volunteering. So I was volunteering for numerous charities such as asylum seekers and refugee charities. Um, and that also helped in, within my journey because once you're volunteering, you're not just helping those people, they end up helping you more than you ever would realize. Um, because, you know, I was fortunate to just be born here, to have a passport that means I can return and have a better life. But I knew the struggle of so many other international refugees who did not have that, you know, settling in the UK, not speaking the same language. Even though I spoke English, I struggled because my English was very broken. Mm. Uh, we call it broken English. And a lot of people might not understand it. And the fact that I couldn't speak in the same way as I'm supposed to, it kind of made me go back into my shell again. You know, um, I became very shy and very withdrawn and very reserved just because I was like, well, if I talk, it's not going to be in the right way. If, um, you know, in any setting, I'm never going to fit in. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing that you talked about here because it's like, even as, the, as you were taking me steps to, I wouldn't say necessarily integrate, but almost like build a life where you could feel more confident, you were talking about resources like football, you know, physical resources, some spaces where you could have camaraderie and volunteering, places where you could give back and almost like amplify your compassion. But you also didn't um, kind of say that all of the discomfort was gone. You also mentioned that, yeah, you still had these insecurities that were coming up, but almost it seems like you were challenging yourself to move forward. And in that, I think just to sum up this conversation, I've got one last question, which is, so when you actually, when you're leading with your inner hero, when you're leading with this Shira, when you're fully embodied within her, like, how does it feel? Like, please describe a day where you're literally in that. Um, it feels unstoppable. Like, uh, I feel just elevated, you know, um, and, and I feel whole if that makes sense. Um, because yeah, when kind of my Shiro, like being in this space, being with her, being with myself, um, I, I just feel free. Um, you know, a lot of burden has been lifted, burden from, you know, past traumas and different things that would that happened to me along the way. Um, I just feel free. And, you know, now being in my thirties, I'm able to kind of get away from that and just do whatever the hell I want to do. Um, with with no regrets um and, and you know that's why it's kind of brought me to also be part of UK Black Pride to help advance the movement and to inspire um the younger generation and people right now who are going through a similar journey um or a, a different one but need that support mm. Thanks so much, Aisha. Um, I'm not going to keep blabbing on for any longer, but <laughs> I guess if anyone has any questions, you know, feel free to kind of raise your hand. Anything you want to ask, Aisha, just, yeah, feel free. That's all for this episode of Self-Inquiry, but be sure to subscribe to hear more 
or check out our live workshop schedule and be part of the conversation. Sending you a virtual hug from the team here. And even if you do nothing else today, remember to breathe, create space and stay curious.